0: Welcome to The Stumbling Spirit, contemplations on the path of resilience. Whether you realize it or not, you are resilient. It's your birthright. As you take in your next breath, know this truth. It's not only about your capacity to overcome difficult situations, but it's about your courage to do the necessary work to heal, learn, grow, and move forward. What you gain is invaluable wisdom. And it's through these hard stumbles in life that we often discover a new purpose that aligns with our spirit. My name is Fabio da Silva Fernandez, Reiki master, mindfulness coach, and mystical explorer. Join me weekly as the Stumbling Spirit podcast highlights the lives of extraordinary people like you, sharing transformative stories and beneficial practices of resilience to guide you on your wellness journey. In the novel, The Picture of Dorian Gray, Oscar Wilde wrote, Nothing can cure the soul but the senses, just as nothing can cure the senses but the soul. But for Marilyn Colegia, this quote takes on new meaning. In 2019, after a sudden attack of vertigo, her senses of sound and sight became immediately impaired, affecting her daily well-being and long career in human resources. However, Marilyn's dark night of the soul inspired a new passion to interpret her fragmented world on canvas. Her vibrant paintings of natural landscapes are satisfying kaleidoscopes of geometric shapes and colors. Today we talk about her art and her journey to finding a new balance when it's been compromised. It's a pleasure to welcome my friend Marilyn Collegia on the show. Hi Marilyn.
1: Hi, Fabio. It is so great to be a guest on your show. It's been a long time coming, and I'm absolutely honored to be on The Stumbling Spirit.
0: Well, thank you so much for saying that. That really means a lot. Can you describe your life prior to experiencing that first episode of Vertigo in 2019?
1: Well, right before Vertigo for me was very devoted to my career. That was something that I loved. I embraced. I was in human resources. I had been in this role and with this company for a very, very long time. You know, I really was at the top of my game. It was something that I had worked towards for a very long time. And I got there and I was comfortable in the space that I was in. I was helping people, I was developing people, I was coaching people, I was really very fortunate to be in a position where I was probably and most likely the most unconventional human resources person you could possibly imagine. I loved that spirit. I I, I loved that I had worked for a company and that I still work for a company that allows me to be who I am and be able to do the work that I absolutely love.
0: So what happened on that day, on that day that you first experienced vertigo?
1: That was a challenging day for me. I didn't quite understand what was happening to me. As a matter of fact, I I think that this is going to sound very, very strange. I have to go back just a little bit because it was actually a journey before I actually got there. It all started As a cold. So in July of 2019, I had a cold. I had a cold that seemed a little bit different than any other colds that I had. I had things that were just not feeling right. I had for about a week's time, I had an ice pick headache. I was just feeling not only out of sorts and, you know, dealing with the regular symptoms of a cold, but then things started to gradually happen. I had a significant earache that I had gone to the doctor for. They gave me some, you know, some medication to help me with that. While I'd like to say that there was an actual significant moment of that vertigo happening and that moment of exactly when, it actually took quite a bit of time for it to finally hit. So I was having small episodes of not so much vertigo, but imbalance, spatial orientation issues. All of that started to happen. And then I had the vertigo. I was scared. Thankfully, I was at home. My life partner, Krista, who I've happily been with for over 27 years, was here at home with me. And my world just started to spin. Been out of control. I could not lift my head. I could not move. I was needing help to get to the bathroom because I was so nauseous. I was vomiting and I could not stop this world, this dizziness from happening. We were both quite scared. And I said to Krista, I said, Krista, I think I need to go to the hospital. You know, it takes a lot for anyone to say we need to go to the hospital or I need to go to emerge and we didn't even then really think about it. We waited a few more moments and I once Krista saw me kind of laying on the couch to in whatever degree or capacity I was in, I couldn't even lift my head because I just needed my world to stop spinning and then she called 911 and the ambulance came. First time I've ever been in an ambulance. They immediately gave me, uh, you know, a couple injections so that I could, well, hopefully stop the spinning. And they took me to one of the local hospitals. I was waiting in eMERGE for quite a long time. While I was in eMERGE, I started to have significant panic attacks. I was trying to slow down my breathing. This was all very, very, very strange and foreign to me. As Crystal was with me when we were waiting to be treated. And finally, when I was seen, a doctor had mentioned to me if I had ever heard of something called the Epley maneuver. I said no. And he said, okay, he said, I'm going to try a series of various positions to help see if we can get you back to a place of stopping your world from spinning. He did that, it got maybe a little bit better enough for me to be able to get to a place where I was comfortable to some degree. Although from there, my whole world seemed completely disheveled within, I would say a couple hours of that, allowing some of the medications that they had given me to kick in, they had released me and Krista and I, I remember we tried to find a taxi or something to get home. And we couldn't find anything. Thankfully, I live fairly close to the hospital sector. And I remember walking home and not being able to walk by myself. I had to have Krista. It looked like I was walking uh, on a rocking boat at high sea, And I remember Krista actually having to say to people, she's not drunk. She has vertigo. Because that's what it really looked like to a lot of people. From there, that how it really all started.
0: Did it feel like you were drunk?
1: No, it didn't feel like I was drunk. (laughs) It felt like I had a very, very bad hangover, which was interesting to me because as I learned more about what was happening, I learned that we have something called ear crystals. Now, Fabio, on this whole journey of mine, I learned so many things. I learned about vertigo. I learned about vestibular system, ear crystals, BPPV, the Epley maneuver, neuroplasticity, all of this. But what was the most interesting in that moment was ear crystals. We all have ear crystals. And who knew? I didn't have any idea that we have these ear crystals. And should one of these ear crystals displace even, even slightly, it's going to rock your world. It's going to bring on the vertigo. It's going to bring on the imbalance. It's going to bring on everything. And what happens is that the dizziness, the spinning, your whole mind goes into threat state. It quickly kicks into fight or flight because it needs to stabilize. So it starts to overcompensate for everything. And finally, when the ear crystal through, hopefully the Epley maneuver, restores it back into place, you now experience something called an ear crystal hangover. And it takes several days for your brain to readjust to the overstimulation of what had transpired during that threat state.
0: Wow. I had never heard of that. That's really interesting.
1: But not many people do. Not many people know that we have ear crystals. And sometimes that leads to misdiagnosis. I was very, very lucky. I kind of jumped ahead a little bit. I went from literally having an in the short TV guide version for those of us that remember what a TV guide actually is, I will give you that short version, I went from having a cold, to something called labyrinthitis and labyrinthitis is an inflammation of the inner ear labyrinth and vertigo is a common symptom of that and in rare cases labyrinthitis causes permanent damage as it did in my case and in my case it damaged my vestibular system that is what i'm living with now is a weakened vestibular system
0: how did this event or these series of events impact your life and your career
1: When I first took the time off, I I didn't think that I was going to be off for that long. I thought, you know, for sure it was just going to be, you know, maybe two, maybe three weeks. I ended up being off work for over a year and a half. Not only was I dealing with significant physiological issues, but alongside that, there were also the psychological impact of what was transpiring because of the physiological issues My day-to-day was living with significant vertigo, imbalance, difficulties with spatial orientation. I mean, if I was in a small room, it was contained to a degree. But going outside, my whole world was surreal and dreamlike. The thing is, what's for me, and, and this is all of my learning, you know, about this, is that the vestibular system is really all about how we perceive the world. So it is us interpreting, or what we're seeing is how then the brain is interpreting our spatial orientation, how we're moving, how we're balancing, all of that. At what point was it going to stop? And for me, it didn't. I was very, very fortunate that... During this time, I had a wonderful medical team and that they were able to diagnose it quickly because once we understood what was happening and that there was damage to the vestibular system, then we could put the right practitioners in place. I had a GP, absolutely wonderful, amazing. I had a great team at Toronto General, which was great. But then what it really came down to was my vestibular physiotherapist and my psychologist. They were the ones to really provide me with the treatment that I needed to help with my healing and my and my recovery. To go back kind of to full circle to your full question, we didn't know how long that was going to take to Restore itself, and I kept having bouts of the vertigo and everything else uh, alongside that. And we just didn't know again at what point was it going to subside, and hence I was off for that period of time.
0: After that correction that the doctor did in in the hospital and you had that hangover. And I say that in quotations. Yes. Did it eventually correct itself? And then would you get waves of vertigo and waves of headaches and waves of visual impairment? How did that look like for you?
1: When it first hit, you know, I I say that initial vertigo attack when I was uh, when I had to go to hospital, there would be bouts of vertigo, everything else I was experiencing on a daily basis, I would say for probably the first, let's say about three to four months. I was unable to read. I was unable to watch television. I was unable to walk by myself. I did not leave the apartment. Now, on top of that, this was all happening during the onset of COVID. When we were going through isolation periods, I had all of that happened for again, probably about the first three or four months. And like I said, some of it would never go and some of it would come in bouts, which was mainly the vertigo.
0: The other symptoms that you talked about were the problems with vision. What other specific things did you experience?
1: You know, the spatial orientation was very difficult for me. I would only be very comfortable in a small room with my back normally to the wall so that I could understand what space was behind me. Anything at that point aside from that would provoke very, the only way that I can describe it, Fabio, is surreal and dreamlike. Do you know when you're watching television and the mouths don't line up with the voices? That's how I was living my life. What I was seeing, how my brain was interpreting that, was a lag. That was difficult. And it would instigate the nausea. Nausea was a big part of this. Light, sounds, all of that was difficult for me to do. I mean, I couldn't read because of the instability of what I was going through. You know, television bothered me for that same reason. Things were going too quickly or too fast. When I was finally comfortable enough to go outside, I would not go outside by myself because I couldn't walk by myself. I could walk much better in a smaller space than I could outside because the moment I went outside... It was too difficult for me there was too much going on there was too much motion you know so I would have to hold on to Krista and you can imagine the vulnerability not quite understanding balance the sidewalk. I didn't know where the curb ended. I didn't know where it began. And if someone was behind me and they walked right by me, it just, it threw my balance off. And I remember one particular day when I was walking through a crowd of people, not only, and this was just on the sidewalk, right? Like, so I had people coming at me from the front. I had people coming at me from the back, totally threw me right off. I was unable to walk. I was completely unstable. And I remember this one person saying to me, Hey, you drunk. And I just thought, wow, you know, I just wanted to turn to them and just say, you know, do you actually understand how number one, that I'm being impacted by, you know, vertigo and I have a vestibular issue, but for them to like truly understand how much it actually took for me to get out there and have the confidence to and security." to feel okay that I was actually out again. Like that was a big, big deal for me.
0: I'm sorry that happened to you. I do need to say that I experienced a very similar, but different issue to you. I experienced a minor onset of vertigo. This happened almost a year to the day. I had a few days of what I describe as dizziness, part of that included tinnitus which is that ringing in the ear my hearing is significantly impaired in my left ear i ended up going to the same clinic as you Mm -hmm. and it appears that i'm not going to be getting my hearing back just because it's past that window of possibility i would like to know where are you right now how are your symptoms today and what is your prognosis
1: First of all, you know, I remember you and I speaking once about what I was going through. And ironically, you had been going through, as you just described, something very similar. This is why I think it's just so important that we share our stories, because I remember in that moment, there is something about having a shared experience, right? When I was going through this, we were so isolated anyway, because of the pandemic, but I didn't think anyone else was going through something like this. And I found solace in a website where there were others that were experiencing vestibular disorders. There was something about that, like I said, that I felt very much gratitude for finding because I thought that I was the only one going through this. And we were already going through such a difficult time, an isolation period, that I felt doubly isolated. I was pulled from a career that I absolutely loved. And here I am experiencing something very much alone. I am sorry to hear that you're also going through what you're going through. For me today, I am better. I went from saying I am suffering from to I am living with. And the moment that I gave myself permission to say that and to think that, it was empowering for me. It was transformative. My self-talk has completely changed. Because for me, it's about adapting. Look, I will tell you that I am much, much, much better. I don't know. As a matter of fact, just this past weekend, I had a scare where I was experiencing just the tipping point or just the start of having a vertigo attack. And it immediately pulls you back into that threat state because you're like, "Uh uh-oh, here it comes on again. You know, and you just you never know. It puts you in a very, very vulnerable position for that instant to think, okay, how long is it going to last? Where am I right now? How am I going to get home? Am I in a safe place for this to happen? you know, et cetera, et cetera. That doesn't happen very often. What I am dealing with now, which is the most difficult, is still the spatial orientation. Large crowds, significant movement. I still have difficulty on subways. All of that is hard. I did not mention, I also have hearing loss as well. For me, it's my right ear. I still live with a tinnitus. The prognosis for me is I am living with this now, However, I am in a much better place than at the first onset, which I am grateful for. However, just don't know when, how, where can some of these episodes happen. And I've really adapted to how I deal with it. I am grateful. I mentioned earlier neuroplasticity. You don't know much about neuroplasticity. It is really about retraining the brain to recognize its structure, functions, or connections that really was a part of my rehabilitation. And the rehabilitation part for me was all of these exercises with my um, vestibular physiotherapist and my psychologist to retrain my brain so that it doesn't perceive how I'm experiencing the world as normal. I had to work really, really hard. But isn't that the beauty of the human body? The human body is resilient. It indicates to us we are sick because our body, our mind is trying to tell us something. Neuroplasticity for me gave me an understanding that through a lot of hard work, through a lot of rehabilitation, I can work at adapting to my new life. And I did, and I do, and I'm grateful for that.
0: What kind of exercises did you do?
1: There were so many exercises, you know, as simple as having a mark on the wall and having to look from left to right, left to right, left to right, by keeping my eyes on that mark on the wall, which was allowing my brain to say, stability, this is how you stabilize. Or I did a lot of different exercises because we were trying to adapt to spatial orientation. I live in a high-rise building. I'm on the 18th floor. Uh, You can imagine looking down might not have been uh, the best thing for me um, at times, but it was looking very quickly at different buildings or things that were close or far so that my brain can put... The proximity of things in place, as opposed to the brain saying, I am going to protect you and you are going to stay in the surreal dreamlike state. So it was about reconditioning how I was perceiving things.
0: I'm really glad to hear about your positive approach to viewing your vestibular dysfunction and how you're reclaiming your life really with that in mind i see that beautiful piece behind you what was the precursor to you picking up that paintbrush for the first time
1: i say my world wasn't straight and at the height of my illness which you know we say it started in july by november when i couldn't read i couldn't watch tv i i really couldn't do anything My partner, Krista, said to me, you should try painting. And I was like, I can't do anything. I've never painted in my life. I could have only drawn stick people at that time. She was painting herself and she put a paintbrush in my hand. I didn't want to do it for (laughs) the first little while because that self-talk, you know, that we were talking about earlier, you know, that threat state of where I was at, it was like, no, 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 no and I was uncomfortable. And if I couldn't read or couldn't do anything, then how could I actually paint? And I picked up that paintbrush. I actually don't think that Krista was home when I picked it up. There was something that was drawing me to the linear nature of geometric shapes. And as I said earlier, my life certainly wasn't straight. I certainly couldn't see in a straight line. Um, My life was in chaos, disheveled, disorganized, because of my, you know, both physiological and psychological symptoms. And here I was drawn to painting straight lines. And guess what, I could do it. Now, it wasn't easy. But I loved it. And for some reason, I could do it. When we talk about the neuroplasticity of the brain, that's what I was experiencing. That was my healing. That was the discovery of rehabilitation. I couldn't do anything else, but I could paint. I could focus in on, I could forget everything else that I was experiencing. And that started my journey. I finished that painting. It took me a while, but let's just say, I mean, it took me a month. And I remember just looking at it like it was my pride and joy because I couldn't really do much else at the time.
0: How often do you paint?
1: I paint as often as I possibly can. I do have a full-time job. I am grateful at this point that... I have an employer that is accommodating, and based on everything that I am still experiencing, I do have a. Uh, I, I work a four-day work week, which uh, again I'm grateful for. So I paint. Because it is just so healing and therapeutic for me. I am someone who particularly through, you know, I I focused a lot on the physiological symptoms of the vestibular illness. But I will say that there was a significant amount of anxiety, depression, cognitive dysfunction as a result of that painting uh, allowed again for that healing.
0: How would you describe your style of painting and what it represents to you?
1: First of all, it's very linear. It's geometric. At first, I was drawn to rectangles and squares. And like everything I do in my life with every single painting I had, I mean, it's all self-taught. Like everything I do in my life with each painting, I challenged myself to learn more, to do more. And I would say probably by about the third or fourth painting, I was absolutely fascinated by triangles. So from then on, I probably have about 30 paintings to date. When you actually see my paintings from the first to just say the 30th, You can see the growth, you can see, you know, a lot of that, but it is, I would say it's geometric abstract, but maybe more so geometric realism. I'm drawn to painting trees. Landscape is just so wonderful. And I I have to talk about this and it is so important. When I was finally gaining confidence in myself, and my ability to walk, and still with this insecurity. But I started to walk to Queen's Park, which is probably about five or six blocks from where I live. And it was my comfort. But there was this tree, and this tree is on Victoria campus. And it's it's a, a catalpa tree, which is a, known as a cigar tree. And it's just Big, magnificent, gnarly. There's just something about it that I fell in love with. I would go visit this tree as often as I could. And I would go to Queen's Park as often as I could. And I was drawn to trees. I was drawn to nature. I was drawn to the healing aspect of trees. And I've spoken to many Colleagues and friends who have had significant illnesses in their life. And for whatever reason it is, they've always talked about the healing nature of trees. Now, we know that trees are the lungs of the earth. We would not be here without them, they're the cooling system of the earth. But there's this healing, rehabilitative nature to trees that's calming, that helps with anxiety, depression. We innately gravitate to nature. And you may not know it, but you feel it. The moment you're surrounded by these magnificent, wondrous trees, Actually, I have a painting called Branching Out. It was inspired by that cigar tree. I've always wanted to honour that tree in, in some way. And it was my way of honouring it. Like I said, it's about my 10th painting or so. And feel like me falling in love with trees and painting really did save my life. It changed my life, actually.
0: Is that your favourite painting?
1: I have a few You know, when I paint, they all represent a part of my journey, my journey of healing and and self-discovery and passion. Like I said, I didn't know that I could paint. And when I look at some of these things, I'm like, how did I even create that? How did I know? Sometimes I look at my earlier pieces, particularly, I would say maybe the first 12. And I know this sounds cliche, but I've always wanted to call my first series, The Art of Healing because that's what it represents to me. And I titled each and every one of those paintings, although I never actually, interestingly enough, never titled my first piece. But sometimes I look at these pieces and get quite emotional, because they helped me through a difficult time. I have many favorite pieces, I think, because they're so reflective of my journey. Even today when I'm creating a painting, there's so much love that goes into even just one triangle. They all tell a story. And the cool thing about it for me is that they're representative of a little bit of me, how I interpret the world now.
0: I really resonate with your connection to trees. Often when I'm walking in nature or on a trail or in the ravine nearby, if I see a tree that I'm drawn to, I'll walk up to it and I'll just place my hand on it or I'll hug it or I'll talk to it. There's a real connection with nature and I really resonate with what you said and why it inspires you to paint what you do. In looking at your paintings, I can really see fragments or fractals of geometric shapes and color and vibrancy and beauty in the landscapes that you represent. I'm wondering if these are actual places that you've been to, or is it just your imagination?
1: Great question. All of them are inspired by a photo, That I would have taken. Particularly, many of my earlier works are inspired by trees, actual trees in Queen's Park. Maybe about two years ago, I was in New Brunswick on one of the nature trails in St. John. And it was maybe a two hour hike, but it was just one of the most stunning, beautiful days in November. We were in t shirts. It was just one of those anomalies, right? And wonderful, wonderful, sunny, beautiful days. And we're hiking in this area, they, they do have the highest tides in the world. At the time when we were hiking, the tide was out. And if you know New Brunswick and you know this particular area, the mud flats just have this beautiful color of pink tones. And it was just really magical. And I, I took a few photos not ever thinking that I was going to paint them. And when I came home, I would say, you know, a few months later, and I was looking at those photos because the photos in themselves looked like paintings and they inspired me. So they are places that I have been to or that I have gone to. My paintings are loosely inspired by an actual tree or an actual place or whatever my muse muse is at that time.
0: And your medium is acrylic.
1: My medium is acrylic, yes. Acrylic on canvas, something about it, it's forgiving, (laughs) uh, which is also wonderful. But I do think at some point I may dabble in oil. Um, But right now, acrylic on canvas is my medium of choice. If I didn't have a wonderful, encouraging, supportive, beautiful human being of a partner, I would have never discovered painting. It has changed my life. What I'm starting to hear more and more is that it brings joy to others. Is there no greater gift that we as human beings in a lifetime can bring joy to someone else? I didn't know I could do it, but I'm going to keep doing it as long as people are enjoying it. It's serving more than just one purpose for myself. And I'm truly grateful and humbled for that.
0: Are you planning an art show anytime soon? (laughs)
1: the million dollar question here. Um, Yes, absolutely. Planning my first art show. I am very excited. I want to celebrate the journey. I want to talk about the story behind it. I want to inspire others who are going through very difficult times to say, you can do it. You are going to find your silver lining. And I'm living proof of that. I live by saying that we all have stories to tell and it's through these stories that we learn from and grow. And if we don't tell our stories or hear these stories, then how do we learn empathy? How do we learn sympathy? How do we learn compassion? I hope that sharing these stories help others.
0: What does resilience mean to you?
1: Resilience means not giving up. Resilience to me is knowing that there are silver linings in every difficult situation. Even though you might not be able to see it at that time, there is something positive or good that can or will come out of it. It might not present itself at the onset, but you can always reflect on and get something out of it. If it is, for instance, your body at that time saying to you, you need to stop, you need to realign, you need to course correct, you need to adjust, you need to look after yourself. Because guess what? One life, my friends, one life. And you need to take this time to overcome and look after yourself. That's resilience. Let's continue to just challenge and not accept the cards that have been dealt.
0: What are your practices of resilience?
1: You know, one of the things that I've learned through all this, and it's the importance of uh, self-talk, and that might go hand in hand with the neuroplasticity piece that I was talking about earlier. Self-talk is extremely toxic, and we can go down the same toboggan hill every single day, every single day, every single day. The only way that we're going to be able to get off that toboggan or that slide is to speak differently to ourselves speak kindly to ourselves and that's scary because innately our brain always wants to go to the negative you have to challenge what the brain's telling you and the only way that you can do that is to be kind to self be kind and change in your self talk that is not an easy practice but when you can get there it does change how you perceive life how you perceive yourself how you perceive others In the absence of data, we make up stories. And when you think about that, when you truly think about, I think someone is saying this about me, or I think this is happening, do you truly know? You don't know. Let's get to a place of, I know, not I think. It's a much more positive way to look at relationships in every capacity of life. So, those are some of the things that I really do try to practice. And like I said, it's not easy all the time
0: and how has it benefited you personally
1: first of all i mean relationships friendships when you're coming from that truth or questioning place it enhances everything it gets rid of anxiety if i start to question and ask the person is this really what's happening it's going to diminish the anxiety that i'm feeling cuz you're going to get to a place of honesty and truth it's benefited in so many ways You know, how I work with others, how I help others communicate with others, that is and was a large part of the work that I've done in human resources is innately the difficulties that people are having with one another is because they are thinking something else is happening, which then leads to communication breakdown. If we can get to the heart of the matter and truly be honest with what we're really saying to one another, it's going to benefit everyone from so many different perspectives, up to including diminishing that anxiety that I was talking about earlier.
0: How can people reach you if they want to contact you?
1: I am on Instagram at Art. Um, my email address is also MarilynKaleaArt at gmail.com.
0: Thank you, Marilyn. Thank you for sharing your story, your journey. I'm so happy to hear that you're in a better place. I'm so happy that you're creating these beautiful masterpieces that are really just a joy to look at. Thank you.
1: Thank you for everything.
0: Thank you for listening to The Stumbling Spirit, Contemplations on the Path of Resilience. This is Fabio da Silva Fernandez. Join me again next week for another episode of transformative stories and beneficial practices to guide you on your wellness journey. If you wish, you can follow and DM me on Instagram at the Stumbling Spirit. Until next time, take a deep breath and another step forward on your path of resilience. <laughs>